the consequence of a bad architecture is not constrained within the code. It spills outside to affect people, teams, processes, and timescales. So that's from Peter Greenleaf, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, old book, really old book. I brought it from England to New Zealand many years ago um, called Beautiful Architecture. It's a fun one to go back to every now and then. And he talks about building two large systems. Now, his story is one for you to read later if you want. But the important thing is to remember that we make these decisions when we're building systems. And we say things like Yagni um, because we want to minimize building things which are not really going to deliver value. Um, you ain't going to need it, which is good. Uh, we also acquire debt. We take shortcuts sometimes because we want to deliver something and there's a really immediate route to do that. And we do things like deluding ourselves into thinking we'll fix it later. And sometimes that's okay because the goal of software is to deliver value to people, real people, our users, our people in the world, you know, have a material impact on society and lives and whatever, you know, someone's work day. But that quote, you know, that a bad architecture, its impact is not just on the code, it spills outside and affects people, is one to remember. Because as you acquire that debt, it flows through your system. And it flows through the way you talk. It flows through complex communication channels and misunderstanding around software. There's a great book that um, came out recently and really, really awesome guy, Manuel Pays and Matt Skelton. If you look at um, DevOps topologies, we've seen that previously. That was kind of the starting point. And there's a book now called Team Topologies and lots of cool podcasts and videos, which I recommend you watch. But there's a really cool premise underneath all of that, which is along the lines of recognizing that teams have real people in them and those people have heads and brains and those brains have some finite cognitive load some aggregate cognitive cognitive load and that means that they can understand so much and if they're looking after computer systems or services those services have business behavior in them. They represent a bounded context, we say in the DDD space. They represent a domain of behavior, the business rules around it, the words, the language, the concepts, the interplay, the translations to real world stuff. And that can start getting quite bloated and big. And following that, will become even more challenging if your team is owning multiple systems, potentially in multiple domains. And so sometimes we try and build microservices and complex systems, and we don't always see the impact of great high-performance teams or great stable software or loosely coupled software. But that's going to take me to another quote in this great book, which I'd open tonight. I do these recordings at night, so same dude cohesion and coupling I'm sure we all know this but it's always good to hear and remember key qualities of software design are cohesion and coupling 
these are not newfangled object-orientated concepts. Developers have been talking about them for many years, since the emergence of structured design in the early 1970s. We aim to design systems with components that have strong cohesion and loose coupling. I'll define those. When we say we talk about them, people don't talk about shit just for the sake of talking about it. Or we do shoot the shit. But we discuss concepts, you know, which relate to problems we see in the systems we build. And so, you know, these are relevant concepts, as we all know. So strong cohesion. Cohesion is a measure of how related functionality is gathered together and how well the parts inside a module work as a whole. Cohesion is the glue holding a module together. Weakly cohesive modules are a sign of bad decomposition. Each module must have clearly defined roles and not be a grab bag of unrelated functionality. Single responsibility principle, remember that? We fight over that, you know, but I think it's a very basic concept. But people can have a lot of um, swaying opinions and you can point at a very large system and say that this is a cohesive system with a single responsibility, which is great. But I think something that's often missed is that these principles are very fractal and you should be trying to make them as reflective as possible through whatever you're building. Um, a large system which is cohesive can be great, but if it's covering a very large, very large space of understanding and accumulated cognitive load, yeah, that's gonna be a bit tricky to comprehend, to manage, to own. This is, it's like, it's actually past midnight here, so um, I will ramble, and that's what this is all about. So where were we going with this? Weekly cohesive modules. Oh yeah, back to the fractal thing. Great, I'm rambling. The fractal thing, as you build those systems, decompose them, break them into smaller units, and make those units self-consistent. Make them do one thing well, and as much as you can, try and question whether or not they all need to be part of the same in-process solution. There's a tendency for people to push out huge in-process solutions. Um, things that are very large and can talk to each other within the same application. You may have beautiful architecture for the bits to talk to each other, but it's like that box of cables you have. You know, the intent is to, un is to wrap them up and, you know, put like um, zip ties around them. And then you come back to like six weeks later and they're all tangled together. It's called entropy, right? It's what happens. It's nature's way. And it's not a magical force. It's just the crazy chaos with which things evolve and requirements get added. If you're building stories, you're often pushed and you do what you need to do. And if there is a least resistant path in this application, which results in it becoming a tad messier, someone will take it and then someone else will, and someone else will. And you have spaghetti or a box of cables. I like spaghetti. I hate those boxes of cables because when I need a cable, I am unraveling it forever. So, weekly cohesive modules are a sign of bad decomposition. Each module 
must have a clearly defined role and not be a grab bag of unrelated cables. So the other property, low coupling. Coupling is a measure of the interdependency between modules, the amount of wiring to and from them. In the simplest designs, modules have little coupling and so are less reliant on one another. Obviously, modules can't be totally decoupled or they wouldn't be working together at all, you don't say. Modules interconnect in many ways, some direct, some indirect. So when we talk about modules here, you know, some languages, some frameworks, some practices have their own idea of what a module is. We're just talking about bits of behavior. Maybe those two cables which are bound together somewhere else. Um, a module, and, and don't take the cable thing to heart, it's getting confusing. Maybe it's like, you know, two behaviors or two microservices or a microservice or a library um, that you've put together, um, a class sitting there in your application, a header file. A module can call functions on other modules or be called by other modules. It may use web services or facilities published by another module. It may use another module's data types or share some data, perhaps variables or files. Good software design limits the lines of communication to only those that are absolutely necessary. These communication lines are part of what determines the architecture. You hear that? Good software design limits the lines of communication to only those that are absolutely necessary. So, I don't know if you've heard about Conway's Law. It's a good one to look up and it touches in with that team topology stuff I was talking about earlier. Um, this notion that the software systems we build reflect, reflect the complexity of our organizations, our communication channels. They reflect the interplay between real people and real teams. So if I want a really clean architecture, but I have siloed teams and um, responsibilities at the wrong tiers, my architecture will reflect that. You know, if I want to have a, um, a set of independent product teams um, or in independent products, single page apps, and I have set my organization up with the skill set for front end um, sitting in the front end team and with the skill set for data persistence in a back end team. So as you might imagine, you'll end up with the front-end team building the front-end and the back-end team building the back-end and this unclear, unnatural division of responsibility, perhaps not um, working together to fully understand what they're trying to build. And that single-page application will probably become a lot more complicated than it needs to be. And we're not even thinking about other potential teams and capabilities in that org. So putting those people together, those competencies, might get you the single page app. They're working together, they're 
creating a minimal solution. They can probably comprehend between them what this particular application is. And you're more likely to see those solutions. But again, if you put too much responsibility on that team and their ownership becomes less cohesive and it involves lots and lots of other concepts, you'll see the same issues creeping in again and they may favor the behaviors in their system and all sorts of things. So that takes me to where I am today. I had a conversation with someone and it made me reflect. So do you know what inversion of control is or dependency injection? Really, really quick summary and reminder. When we write code, we want to put lots of bits of code into separate modules, as we said before, right? Different classes or different responsibilities. You might need a database connection to do something. That's a thing. And it needs to be created. So whether you're doing OO, where you might create a new instance of an object, or you're not OO inclined, you just need something which carries that value pointing at the database connection, you need to create it somewhere. So traditionally, we've gone off into our code and written like behavior, doing things like call the database and then get this data out of it and do stuff and do some inserts and all sorts of stuff on this connection handle. And instead of creating the connection handle once in one place, we do it in every single place where we need it sometimes or how you designed your code um, or similarly for other things and worse the implementation of making that connection is buried deep in your code so that's got several consequences if you had an external interface for something you'd written and deep within there in a hard to reach impossible to poke way there was a dependency it makes it very hard to test secondly it makes it hard to understand what dependencies a particular thing has. And that's really important. It contributes to whether or not it's doing just enough for that single responsibility, or it's doing way more. And people will twist the term and try and fit single responsibility to what their code does. But ultimately ask yourself, how is it easy is it to maintain, to test? So how do we get those dependencies in if we're not going to create them? Um, the way we do that is we have something responsible for defining and populating that dependency graph. So it may be a framework in some languages. Um, it might be something you've implemented, but you've externalized the creation of these instances. So you can reuse the same instance in multiple places, that database connection, you can pass it in and the code using it doesn't need to worry about that. Hopefully, you might pass in a concept that's less fine-grained than database connection. You'll realize, actually, I need a repository for something, and you'll pass that in. And different consumers will use that to do the thing they need to do, which might be talk to the database. Now, how do you get it in? There are multiple ways. The patterns for this, we call that process of putting those fields or those values into your application, dependency injection. 
and their patterns called constructor injection, where you explicitly pass in each of the fields needed by a class or a module or whatever it is you're building. Similarly, there's another pattern, which is field injection or setter injection, where rather than setting um, those fields in your constructor, you just make them fields in your object and you let the dependency injection framework populate them. The sad thing is I've seen that pattern result in teams having too many dependencies sitting in their code because it's hidden in their code literally. It'll say database connection, it will say Mongo connection, it'll say Cassandra connection, it'll say a bunch of stuff and it'll be hidden in the code, not in the interface of the code or the contract. And so that's field injection. Then you've got contract, or sorry, constructor injection, where the constructor takes a finite number of fields which are injected. Now, if you have too many in there and you start doing too many things, that becomes a smell and you can see it in your constructor. Callers can see it, you can discuss it and hopefully remodel your application because clearly you're doing way too much in there. So that's a consideration to have. Today someone told me that they did not believe in constructor injection and um, I would have had a religious flame war had I been younger. But I accepted it and I contemplated it. And this person's point was essentially that by allowing a caller to pass in fields, we are violating or allowing the violation of inversion of control. Even though the framework is typically responsible for passing it in, by allowing it, inversion of control is um, endangered. Now, the benefits, as I've said, are you can test it, you can pass mocks in instead of allowing your dependency framework to set this. You can see the clarity of what dependencies you have. And if you have too many, you can manage and refactor your behavior. So what's really important is that when you realize that you're passing in these, you know, different uh, collaborators into your class or object or module or whatever you want to call it in whatever language you start questioning is it collaborating with the right counterparts maybe you know there's a group of behaviors that it's collaborating with which need to be consolidated um, maybe something different but if you're talking to too many things you know that you've just got too much bloated responsibility in one place and your architecture is wrong so respond to it this person who had this particular view you know, I'm sure it came from experience, and experiences differ you know, based on the people in the team, based on um, whether or not people allow those fields to grow to that extent. However, generally, we're working with a broad range of people, with a broad range of pressures, and often that that they're forced to deliver. Uh, there's not a team out there without technical debt. There's not a software system out there without bugs. There is, you know, no piece of software out there I'd say is perfect because that's a platonic concept it's not something that um, you're going to achieve 
So you strive for something that will be maintainable, extensible, long-lived, and something you can test and have confidence in rapidly. Generally, to achieve that, constructor injection allows you to treat your behavior as something isolated. The second you start adding additional um, uh, bits to it to test, like the dependency injection framework, what you're doing is you're taking something from a microtest and integration test, and that's something you want to do at some level. You want to combine the behavior of your different modules, as I talked about in the previous um, Ramble podcast. You want to do those other tests, but you want the ability to still do the microtesting, that unit testing of your object. And to do that, don't be dependent on external frameworks and other things. Try and have behaviors that are kind of you know, atomic as much as possible that are testable um, without being tightly coupled to other things. So, um, I am in the next morning and I don't have as much time, so I'm going to leave you with a thought as to whether or not this podcast was cohesive, whether or not there was sufficient coupling between the concepts, and if there was too much coupling between the concepts. I'm doing this for fun. Uh, If you happen to listen to this, then yay. Otherwise, I just enjoy rambling. Um, If you come across this, let me know. Um, At Ficus on Twitter. F-I-Q-U-S. And um, I might keep doing this. It's just fun to talk to myself because I'm a nutcase. Ciao, ciao. Have a good day. Bye.